Alrighty. Nice to see you today. Missing a few folks because of sickness, but glad you're here. Uh, you can turn if you'd like to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to start at the last part of chapter 14 and work our way through 15. I was somewhat in a quandary this week as to what to preach because <coughs> I read through the book of Ruth. And you know, if you've ever loved the book of Ruth, read the book of Ruth, I'm sure you love it, especially because it comes at the end of such dark times. You know, I find when I read through Judges, <clears throat> by the time I progressively get through the book, it really affects me. I get down and depressed. You know, it just keeps going from bad to worse, bad to worse, bad to worse, cut off the woman, send her out to the 12 tribes. It's just a disaster. <laughs> and then you hit Ruth, and you have found this island oasis in the book of Ruth. And I really wanted to speak on that because there's so much in it. But I didn't know how to go about doing it other than go through the whole book, which I still might next time, just kind of read through and make some comments. But I don't know, I just wasn't quite, I don't think, prepared to do that mentally for whatever reason. So I'm reading through 1 Samuel. And, um, you know, this is getting better, worse, better, worse, better, better, worse, worse, better. But it's, it's just, I find the narrative just so fascinating and encouraging to realize that somehow through the midst of all that is going on, God is still sovereign. God is still God. You know, he's not lost control. You know, if you were to read this, you know, from an outside perspective, not as a born-again child of God with the Holy Spirit living within you, believing that these are the inspired words of God, you might wonder, you know, what kind of God is this? Has he lost control? Can he keep control of his people? You know, it's, it's kind of like when I drive the bus, every once in a while somebody will get on the speaker and say, bus number 37, some other bus ran a bus. you got some kids running around in the back of your bus and they're standing on the seats. You know, the, the idea behind all this for everybody to hear, get control of your kids. And, you know, sometimes, I don't mean this the way it sounded, but you can almost read this. It's like, God, can't you get a control of your kids but somehow the encouraging thing is we're no different than these people we have our own struggles our own ups and downs we are God's children he is our father and if somebody were to look on the outside at our lives at times and we say we have God as our father they probably say God can't your God control you people but somehow the really neat thing is, God is. Yeah. He, he is. He somehow uses it all to accomplish his purpose for his good, for his glory. And, and through the failings of his children, somehow draw others to want the God of those children. Now, I find that encouraging because... If it was left up to us to draw people to Yeshua for salvation alone, <laughs> nobody's going to want what we have. Maybe because if they really know us, well, you people are unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you say you love this God, but I look at your daily lives and I wonder. But if we can just own up to the fact that, yes, we are human, we are frail, Somehow God set his love upon us in Yeshua and drew us to himself. And we, we responded by faith and accepted him as Savior. We were born again and somehow we are light to this dark world. And God is going to get the glory. That's the hope of all of this. 
So, we come to Saul. <laughs> you know, he's a very interesting character. I think he verges on this, on the edge of psychotic, can I say it that way? Because just the way the story goes and the way it ends up. But God is using Saul to get glory to himself. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, and I, I just, the, the preacher I think always gets the greatest blessings because he's the one that spends the time in this and and he has to lay himself kind of bare before you to do a work in his own heart first and then receive that life-giving source of your word and rebuild his life and then get up to be able to share it, to be a blessing. And I just want to be a blessing this morning. I pray, Father, you'll encourage us. I pray, Father, that you, through all of this, will draw us to yourself, and may you get all the glory. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, so I'm just going to go through it like I normally do. Uh, I'm going to read and comment along the way, and we'll see how far, how long I go. I don't know. All right, so verse 47 of chapter 14. It kind of, the narrative now sort of picks up. It says, so Saul took the kingdom over Israel. Now, I got thinking about Israel, just the name of it, and, and what it means. And I've checked several sources. I, th I think the simplest definition that I've come up with, and Luke, can, you can help me here, is, is uh, God prevails. God prevails. And I, I got thinking about this probably because of watching recently that thing with Bibi uh, uh, Netanyahu and Trump when they were had that press conference. I don't know if you saw it. And don't get me wrong with any of this. I, I, I'm glad for Bibi Netanyahu. Honestly, I think he is a dynamic, forceful person. He just falls short of following through. And I think to some degree, we almost see a parallel between Saul, and this is what got me thinking about it. I'm reading it's like, wow, Bibi Netanyahu is just like Saul. I mean, all this potential. I mean, he, I, he's a man's man when you look at that guy, right? And, 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 and I, I've listened to him time after time after time say all this powerful stuff only to once again capitulate. Am I, am I wrong on this? I mean, he has to realize, me too, he represents God prevails. It's not just the name Israel. We need to realize what the name means. God prevails. So when he's having a, a, a conference with whoever it is, and he says all that he says, the only way that Israel will ever prevail, and it's not going to happen until Yeshua comes, is if the leadership will get back to the Torah and let God prevail. So I see this sort of mirrored with Saul here because, I mean, he starts out great, humble beginnings. He endeavors to do some incredible stuff and gets right to the apex and falls short. Now, I never really thought about Saul 
like it describes in verse 47. So Saul took the kingdom of God prevails. I'm going to try to remember to read it that way because I think it means, if you can think of it this way going into this, Saul took the kingdom over God prevails and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab and against the children of Ammon and against Edom and against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. And whithersoever he turned himself, he vexed them. And he gathered and host and smote the Amalekites and delivered God prevails out of the hands of them that spoiled him. I mean, this guy, if you've ever seen BC Battles, you, you need to find it. I don't know if you can find it. I, I, I don't know if it's on YouTube. But, you know, presents all of these guys. I mentioned a gazillion times. Abraham and, and Moses and Joshua. Uh, these guys were warriors, David. I mean, these, these guys were warriors. They know, knew how to go to battle. And so... This is incredible. As I understand it, I mean, I see Saul, he's a military strategist. I mean, he is going forth in this campaign and just conquering and overcoming the enemies and subduing them just like they're supposed to do. Verse 49. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishui and Machishua, and the names of his two daughters were these, the name of the firstborn Merib, and the name of the younger Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Hamaz. And the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. And Kish was the father of Saul, and uh, near the father of Abner was the son of Abiel. And there was sore war against the Philistines all the day of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. I, I love that. He's always on the lookout to try to find somebody that's a strong man, somebody that's a valiant man. I mean, he's wanting to build an army for God, which is what Luke and I are trying to say we want this congregation to be, and that's why we realize this hands down probably not going to be the biggest congregation ever, but we're trying to build Gideon's 300. We're trying to build an army that will be prepared to do battle for God. And we just can't be wimps anymore. If you read my blog, did you read my latest blog? I haven't. Well, I get to the end of the last line. This is, it's a cross, not a cruise. <laughs> right? right? We want the cruise. I mean, even the Messianics are now jumping on the cruise bandwagon. <laughs> Commonwealth celebrates the cult in the cruise. Anything wrong with cruise? No, but I think we're, we're, we're going the wrong direction as God's people. We're becoming fat and Zion, at ease in our Zion. We want American Christianity. We want Messianic Messianicism in America. And, and oh, I know I beat this to death, but... When Yeshua comes back, he's going to need people who are ready for battle. And I don't know if it'll be military, but, but people that will have enough conviction and enough gumption, gumption to stand up for Yeshua, proclaim him proudly, and be willing, if necessary, to suffer persecution. Amen. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall go on cruises. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't get this. When I got saved and went off to Bible college, I, I just thought, this is going to be awesome. 
I got there and saw they, they were just as worldly as everybody else. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I thought Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And all I saw was it was just a hunky-dory fun time. <laughs> so, where was I? Oh, so he's, all, he's looking for valiant men. I, I like, at this point, I love Saul. Man, I would have I cozied up next to him and said, I am not one of those guys. I'll be glad to carry water for you. I don't care what it is. I have to be a part of what you're doing. Man, God's using you. You're going forth. You, you're just annihilating the enemy so that God, God prevails, can prevail and take this land. All right, chapter 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people. Over God prevails. I, I, I just had so hung up on the name Israel. God prevails. I just was so convicted. God prevails. And why am I such a wimp? If God prevails, why don't I? You know, well, okay, I'll never get through this. So... <laughs> The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over God prevails. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember. You know, God doesn't forget, which is good and it's not good, right? <laughs> it's good and it's not good. In this case, it's good. Um, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, God prevails, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, here's some marching orders. You've been doing great so far, Saul. So i got another task for you. This is what I want you to do. Now, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both Man, please picture this, slay man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, I would never have been able to picture this if I hadn't watched BC battles, especially when they, they show how it would have been with Joshua going in to take Jericho. Because of the confines and the weapons that they used, it would have been a bloodbath, they said. And these are not Christians, they're, they're not believers, they're just historians looking at this saying, wow, these guys were really worries. And so they focus on Joshua, and they said, by, with the, the, the short uh, weaponry that they used to close confines and the way it, uh, Jericho was laid out, it would have been hand-to-hand -hand close combat. They said it would have been a bloodbath. Now, they're supposed to, it, this is a bloodbath. Don't spare them. Slay! Man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, ass. We sound like a bunch of cultists. <laughs> you know, I've mentioned it before. I've not seen uh, the Ten Commandments. Is it with Charlton Heston? Is that the one? Okay, I've not seen that one. I, I tried, I try. I cannot get into that thing. But there's a modern version that they came out with, and there's that scene where the Levites are supposed to go in because of uh, the golden calf and slay everybody. I'm watching that thing. And my eyes are like this. And I just stepped back. It didn't mean to say, wow, we look insane. Can you imagine? I'm from the outside world. You know, this is like Jim Jones. These people are insane. These people are insane. Well, 
They have to go in there and just wipe them out. Verse 4, And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Teleim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. So it's a pretty good-sized outfit. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. A beautiful street. Uh, uh, strategician. I, I always think of uh, Stonewall Jackson because Stonewall Jackson, Civil War guy, he, um, he studied the scriptures and, and learned some of his military strategy from reading the battles. And so he used some of the specific things that he read that these military uh, leaders did and implemented it into his strategy. So he fought, in a sense, biblical Battles based upon what was done. So here's, here's this cool one. Yours might say something different. I know I've looked into all this. But it says, uh, he laid wait in the valley. I love that. Just laying wait, sitting back, waiting just for the right time. Verse 6, And Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart. Get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And notice back in verse 2 it says how, that, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. So you have one group of people wanting to get rid of Israel. You have this in verse 6 now. Uh, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. It, this is so interesting. You have two people, two groups of people, two types of people responding differently to God prevails. One wants to not help and one wants to help. The one that doesn't want to help, God didn't forget. God didn't forget. He, he's it's coming pretty soon. God didn't forget the other ones that they did good things for, right? God doesn't forget. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think, oh, God, you remember me? I know you got important things to do, but here I am. You know, God does not forget. Verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalites, Amalekites, alive. Okay, if we stopped, I thought this morning as I was going over this, if you, if you just read verse 8, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and you stopped right there, perfect story. <laughs> you know, that next word kind of messes things up. Because that's not part of what God said to do. You know, there wasn't, as far as we've read, a subclause saying, kill everybody but. Now we get into the but. And that's so much like, I want to say you and I, but, you know, we kind of reason with God. Yeah, but God. You know, but, okay, God, but. And we kind of, we do so, we do pretty good until we reach that juncture where, alive, and we go over there. And God wants us to keep going straight. All right? So he took Agag, the king of the Malachites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. Oh, it made me think of a note I want to share. So back to verse 3. Now, go and smite Amalekite, utterly destroyed, because it's the same thing that says here, verse 9, utterly destroyed. Okay, so I found a note. This is pretty good about this utterly destroyed thing and, and why God wanted this group of people to just be annihilated. Uh, 
uh, smite uh, Amalek and utterly destroy. The, the word utterly destroy, for, for utterly destroy, the Hebrew has the far stronger expression put under the ban. Karim, Karim, I don't know how you said it. Whatever was, quote, put under the ban in Israel was devoted to God. And whatever was so devoted could not be redeemed, but must be slain. Amalek was to be looked upon as accursed. Human beings and cattle must be killed. Whatever was capable of being destroyed by fire must be burnt. The cup of iniquity in this people was filled. I, I thought that was so good how that was put. The cup of iniquity in this people was filled up. Its national existence, if prolonged, would simply have worked mischief to the commonwealth of nations. I thought right away, America. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. But I, I just think it's the same with us. Our cup of iniquity is filled up. And if our nation exists any longer, if it's prolonged, we're just going to work mischief to the commonwealth of nations. And we have. We've done a lot of good, I know. But you know, like I've told you, if I remember my reading, you know, if other nations that have never had a support, I don't know if this is going still now, want to support, if never had support dollars from America, if they wanted it, they had to sign a thing that would say if they did not allow abortions that they would start having abortions. So not only did we, have we spread our iniquity throughout our country, we spread it around the world as well. We, I, folks, listen, I, I know we as God's people still live in this dream world that somehow God bless America. No, it's over. And, and I don't love this land anymore. It, that may sound heretical, but I'm almost 63. I can go back to days when I could say God bless America, the land that I love. Amen. Not anymore. Truly back in Egypt again. Oh, yes. I mean, it's, it's sad, it's sad, it's sad. So when I read this about the Amalekites, so let me continue. It, its national existence, if prolonged, would simply have worked mischief to the commonwealth nations. Israel here was simply, this is so good, Israel here was simply the instrument of destruction used by the Almighty. It is vain to attempt in this and similar transactions to find materials for the blame or the praise of Israel. We must never forget that Israel stood, in a, and still does, Israel stood in a peculiar relation to the unseen capital K king in that this nation was not and that it, you should say this nation was frequently used as the visible scourge by which the all-wise punish hopelessly hardened sinners and deprive them of the power of working mischief. We might as well find fault with pestilence and famine or the sword, those awful instruments of divine justice, and though we often fail to see it now, a divine mercy. That's a great note. The all-wise punished hopelessly hardened sinners. Now, that word got me just, you know, it's not popular to talk about sin. You know, we can't talk about sin. Nothing's sin anymore. You know what I'm saying? Every, everything goes. And if you start wanting to be the one in the conversation at work to say, sorry, that's sin. And first off, you know how hard it is to say that because you know what's going to happen. So we, we soft pedal some of that around, you know. But it's sin. It's sin. It's sin. We have to label it as sin. And, and so God sends his people in to wipe out these sinners. 
How dare you say they're sinners? They're born that way. That's their lifestyle. That's their culture. That's their heritage. That's how they live. Who are you to say that yours is right and theirs is wrong? That's the society we live in. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. And we'll all use the same bathroom. Bring your pig and cow as well. <laughs> you know, it's just a universal bathroom for everybody. God bless America. Do you see how it doesn't fit? All right, so, 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 verse 9 again. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, fatlings, lambs, all that was good and would, and would not put them under the ban. God said, put it under the ban, devoted to me, destroy it. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So I don't know. Maybe their motive, um, they're wrong, but maybe their motives were okay. Then justifies the means. I don't think so, but as we go through the story, you make your own decision. All right, verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, saying It repenteth me. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, I made a mistake. That means I'm, I'm changing direction here. That's really all it means. I had a thought here. I was going to go this way, humanly speaking. You know, it's interesting. Samuel, we'll see in a little bit, he, he, he cries out to God all night long in relation to Samuel. And I'm thinking, what you just... Uh, Saul, I'm thinking it's already, Samuel prays all night long in relation to Saul. I'm thinking, hey, Samuel, you know, God's in control, he knows what's happening here. But I love the fact that we're not supposed to really enter into the whys and the how comes. Just, let's just do this thing. So I don't know what it means when it says God repents. It's just, it simply means like when we repent, we change and, and go in a different direction. God says, hey, change plans here. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. But he had to. And he knew what he was doing. And it was a part of his divine will. He had to be there because of Saul and all this. It prepares the people for the next guy to come up, right? For he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried unto the Lord all night. I'm reading that again this morning. I can't pray consistently without my mind going off in a different track for two minutes. I can't. I, I long for this to be able to cry to God all night. I mean, Yeshua prayed all night, and I, I just, you know, I just, God, just somehow transport me to that moment in time. I, I need, I need a model here, something to follow. What did He say? How did He do it? How does somebody talk to God all night long? They have something I don't have. I mean, they, I have what they have, but you know what I'm saying. I want to be a man of prayer like this. And, and, you know, God's people went forth, in this country anyway, that I'm aware of, in strength by prayer. I mean, they, I'm, I'm, I have to be careful what I'm saying because I'm condemning myself. But, you know, does, does prayer really matter? Uh, yes, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> but in our lives... Yeah, everybody, does prayer matter? Yeah, oh yes, prayer matters. How much we prayed? It's like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> you know, we we we're you know we we know the answers. I can't pray like this. I don't pray like this. So I'm reading along, and rather than just a nice story and seeing him cried all night to God, it's like, ah, oh, when's the last time I've been so tore up about the sin of anything, anywhere, anybody in my own life that I'm so overwhelmed that I'm just going to pour myself out to you all night long, like my Savior did. See, this isn't just stuff to read and, and acknowledge and give mental assent to. 
It has to change us. You know, God just didn't, you know, the stuff that's in here, God just, you know, you know, have you ever noticed sometimes you're going to be driving along and, you know, two miles later, it's like, whoo, you wake up, how did I get here? You know, God doesn't just, oh, gee, I didn't know I put that there. I wasn't planning on saying Samuel prayed all night. That's not really important. Nobody needs to know that. Why did I put that there? No, it's important. It's important. Now, what's interesting is what you find out is what? What, what do we know about Samuel's sons? They're a disaster. Now, isn't that encouraging? I find that encouraging. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. A real man of God, you, you tend to think because somebody's a man of God, out serving God, walking with God, that he's got it all together and his family is just like, you know, following. You know, here's Samuel, his sons are a disaster. You have Saul and Jonathan, somebody that does good. I don't know what to say about that, but that's just what it is. All right, where am I? So, 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place. Most likely it's a, it's a monument. I think the word is like hand, and, and evidently there were monuments that were set up with the hand. Immediately I thought, have you seen that poster of the fist? Yeah. You know, I think it's that kind of idea. Saul started out small in his own eyes, but now he's erecting a monument to himself. You know, he's getting full of himself. I mean, he's done a lot of incredible stuff. So he, he uh, set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. And this, I, I just pictured this. I can see this as a kid that knows they're in trouble and dad's coming home. And how can he kind of divert dad's attention here? This is kind of how I see this. So, and Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Samuel's no dummy. He's walked up. He's taken notice of stuff, looked around, he hears stuff. And he says, oh yeah? Okay. And Samuel says, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they, I love this, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, the people, Spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So this sounds pretty good, right? <clears throat> but the ends don't justify the means. I'm losing my voice. I'm yelling so much here. Honey, can you get me my water? <coughs> um, did I read 15? Yeah, 16. Okay. And the rest we have utterly. Thank you, honey. Then Samuel said unto Saul, oh, this is good. I'm going to give it to you, the Tanner translation, but I think it's pretty accurate in the original Hebrew. And I mean that seriously, but there is no original Hebrew, please. I hate that. There's no original Greek. There's no original Hebrew. They're long gone, folks. They're just long gone. The original Hebrew and the original Greek are gone. That's a whole other topic. I know people bandy that term about. I, I One of the guys I love listening to Messianic, in the original Greek, there ain't no such thing. But in the, what we have, This is really basically, I think, how it should read. Uh, then Samuel said unto Saul, shut up. And that's really basically what it is. You know, dad comes home. What's this bleeding on a sheep I'm hearing? Hi, dad, where are you going? Shut up. You know, my kids know how. 
how I was. Just shut up. And, and, okay. So stay, shut up. And I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And, and he said unto him, and this is just me, go for it. <laughs> but I think Saul's feeling his oats a little bit here. You know, look at all I've done. I set up an image. I got all these people following me. Done good stuff. Tell me to be quiet. 17. And Samuel said, this, this just should take him out of the knees. And I, I love this. It humbles me. Because it's so easy to get so full of yourself. You know, I've told my wife, she knows me, and I said to you, I think one of the reasons that God has not delivered me from some of the struggles that I have is to humble me. Because any time I want to get up on my high horse, in the back of my mind, this is really who you are, Warren. Be careful. Don't strut your stuff too much. And this is basically what Samuel is saying to Saul. Who do you think you are? You were just this little nobody before I came along and found you. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, juxtaposed to, look at this, you building yourself a monument now? What happened? What happened? You had a great start. When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of God prevails? And the Lord anointed thee, king over God prevails. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until thou be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, but... I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed all the Amalekites. But the people, those stupid people, <laughs> it hasn't changed since the garden. That stupid woman you gave me. You know, it's, it's those people, you know. But the people took it a spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been given over to God to destruction to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal and, and this is all this is a verse we all know next two verses I, you know I don't know how he said it this is when I wish I could be a fly on a wall back in history I mean was he like me right now or was he broken you know I don't know it kind of depends on what mood you come to it because I can see him especially because of the way things end I can see him or, you know, he cried all night long to God. I'm sure he's broken. Samuel is. And God, oh, God. So, you know, now he's come to the point. He, he's weighed the evidence. He gets it all from the mouth of Saul. Saul has basically condemned himself. How did he say this? I would love to know. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, listen, pay attention. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. And that's still the struggle with us, folks, obedience. Obedience God's way. Not necessarily what makes sense to us, but God's way. God's looking for obedience. 23, for rebellion 
is as a sin of witchcraft. So I wish you guys could hear Lester Roloff because he hits this verse. And it's only with that deep bear for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And this is why we need to get things like rebellion and stubbornness out of our kids early on. I mean, I see this in, in the buses that I drive. I see it in my own kids. I see it in my grandkids. I see it in other kids. You know, we, we cannot have this rebellious, stubborn nature in our kids. We're just gonna, we have to get it out because they're going to grow up to be big, rebellious, stubborn people. <laughs> just the way it is. For rebellion, and we have to see this. Rebellion is acute. Oh, oh, that's so cute. I mean, I understand. We see that little child acting defiantly, and we all hide our snicker because it is cute, but it's not. It is, but you understand what I'm saying? We have to see God in his word for what it says. Yes, a little leaven leavens the whole big person when they grow up. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected, this is no big deal, Saul. I mean, this is a big deal, Saul. It's not a bit small thing. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Wow. Wow. So Saul's trying to regroup here, verse 24. Saul said to Simon, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people. I, I just, it just baffles me. I've just gone and I did all these incredible uh, military battles, but I was afraid of my own people. I, you know, I, I, I don't get it. Isn't that so true, though, in today's churches? Yeah. Fear their people, fear, you know, presenting. Yeah, amen. The word of God the way it's supposed to be because they fear their people and yeah, preach it. See, we're looking for people like this, okay? <laughs> this is what we're after, not, not this other junk, okay? Um, so I forget, where am I? Uh, 25. Okay. Uh, oh, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being... King over God prevails. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent, and Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of God prevails from thee, uh, from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And that right there, I think, sets up the scenario for the conflict between Saul and David that's going to come where Saul even wants to kill David. 29, and also the strength of God prevails. Will not lie nor repent, for he's not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before God prevails, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, Saul worshiped him. You know, I, I think Samuel probably got his point across. Everybody knew it, but for the sake of, I, I'm, I'm trying to cut him some slack here. I tried to figure out how I would do it. Maybe he did seem to decide it would be a wise thing to say, hey, let's pull this together, otherwise we're going to have a real major division on our hands. I don't know. That's what one commentator said that I read. I don't know. 32. Ah. <laughs> then, said Samuel, this is just like Lester would say, bring ye hither to me, Agag. 
<laughs> the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately, and Agag said, Hey, I'm sure it's over and done with now, right? Just let, can we let bygones be bygones? Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel, I know yours is going to be different. I'm sticking with the King James. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Can you imagine? You know, this is akin to Yeshua going into the temple and just acting like a madman. Scourge, stuff's flying everywhere. He's mad, he's yelling. You know, I'm taking it for what it is. I mean, I've read enough stuff over the years to try to explain this away. Did he cut him? Is there some other way to do it? Did he really just hack him to bits? I'm going when he hacked him to bits. That's what was supposed to happen anyway. And so, you know, so picture yourself. You're here, I'm Samuel talking to Agag, and you know what? You're going to die. <laughs> he must have gone wild. I mean, if it's me, I'd be getting all my frustration out of everything that's been happening. Now, you have to picture the scene. While he's hacking into pieces, blood's flying everywhere. It's all over Samuel's clothes and his beard and his face. And I mean, he's just whacking this guy to death and he falls down. He stands up and looks at the people, and the people are like, <laughs> Deer in the head, like, what did we just see here? Prophet of God's not supposed to be like that. He's supposed to preach love. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Please forgive me. I go back and listen to myself, and I sound like a lunatic. <laughs> but I believe what I'm preaching. I just feel like I'm about 52 year, 50 years too late preaching like this. Because what I'm preaching today is mild compared to what the preachers, the gonads the preachers used to have back in the days gone by in America. You know, what does it mean when it says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and as a discerner of thoughts and intents of hearts? I mean, I think we see that very sterile, you know, very antiseptically clean. When the word of God goes to work on the heart of a person, it's a bloody scene because God has to get the cancer out of our lives. And he does it with the word of God, and this is why we don't read it. Because we do not want this sword that Samuel used to just, in the name of the Lord, the word of the Lord. <laughs> we know if we go to this book, it's going to... You know, we're going to look like that uh, in, in Toy Story where the pancake uh, is a Mr. Oh, what? Potato. It, 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 it squish, and he gets on. Trying to walk. That's what we're going to look like if we come to this book. But you know what? God can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Oh, goody. But he has to dismantle us. I'm almost done. Oh. <sighs> 34, then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel came no more to see Saul. 
until the day of his death. That's so sad. It really is. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he made Saul king over God prevails. I'm done. I don't know. Take whatever I said that can be applicable and apply it and go with it. I know I finished reading this and I, I, I just feel my own self. I mean, I can see where Warren would be the guy that, hey, those are some pretty nice looking sheep over there. I'll put them over here a little bit, hope nobody notices. You know, that's in me. It's just in me. God, cut it out. I want to be obedient, God. I'm so sick of fighting God. And the ramifications of it, of it all is, is not small because if I had known early on as a parent the stuff of my own struggles that would end up permeating unbeknown to my kids, my kids, you know, I just, I just barfed worn to another generation. Blah, here you go, kids. And we have to stop this. And now my kids have to stop it from their kids, and your kids have to stop it with your kids and their kids. We have to, this, this path of disobedience that is somehow still ingrained within us just has to be whacked out of us, right? Let's pray. So, Father, I, I thank you personally for once again just taking your word and doing what it says in Hebrews, just being quick and powerful and just kind of doing its thing inside of me once again. I just wish there wasn't so much scar tissue you had to keep cutting through to get to the same old stupid, stupid things. So work in us, Father. It's if For those of us that are saved, who have been saved through the shed blood of Yeshua, who have been born again, Again, who've been taken from the kingdom of darkness and then put into the kingdom of light and we know we've been made a new creature, creation in Messiah. We don't want that old man in us anymore. But yet we read the scriptures and we can still see, at least me anyway, I'll speak for me, I read this story and it's like, oh boy. Father, work in our hearts. I think you want to at all costs, conform us to the image of our Savior, your Son, Yeshua, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>